Elon Musk made news headlines earlier this month when he was declared to be the wealthiest person on earth. A recent rise in Tesla's stock moved Musk's estimated net worth from or to $200 billion. That put him over Amazon founder Jeff Bezos, who is worth a mere $182 billion. Those sums of money are impossible to imagine, right? And, and, and it's not like he has it in cash either. He would have to cash out all of his Tesla stock. The minute he did that, the price would drop. So we have to take some of these things into account when we think about somebody's net worth. But the truth of the matter is, he's an incredibly wealthy man. He has wealth far beyond what I can even imagine. And it's probably true for most of us. But why was it newsworthy that Elon Musk is so wealthy? Why was that in the headlines? Why did someone think that's important? The answer is because our world is obsessed with money and material things. Our world is obsessed with money and material things, especially here in America, where money is the scorecard for who is winning in life. And if you think about it compared to other possible things you could have more of than anyone else in the world, I think the point here that our world is obsessed with wealth becomes even clearer. What if he was the greatest carrot farmer on earth? Had more carrots than any man or woman alive. No one would care. Because carrots, though they are tasty and healthy, don't nearly have as much utility as wealth does. And they're not nearly the object of concern or of interest or of obsession as money is in our world and our culture. Now, the truth of the matter is we can't get by in America without money. Money is essential. It's indispensable to life as we know it. And so there's always going to be some level of attention on money. And if you doubt my statement that we can not get by without money. Think about the Amish. The Amish have their own communities, their own culture. They have a bartering system, and yet they have to pay U.S. taxes in U.S. dollars. And so even they have to be concerned somewhat with the issue of money. Maybe that's why they sell furniture and stuff to the worldly people like us. I don't know, but because they need cash to pay the government. But the point of the matter is, even the Amish can't survive in America without some kind of income, without some kind of monetary uh, wealth. And so wealth is essential. It's indispensable to our world. This is one of the reasons why people are so obsessed with it, because you can't live without it. You can't get by without it. And because of that, it becomes an object of focus for many people. And because it's actually a hard metric, it's, it's one way of actually measuring your life which is hard to do in other ways. It's hard to measure your life in many other ways, but one way to measure your life is by your net worth or your bank account or whatever. And so many Americans, many people are obsessed with money because it is so essential to our world and because it does so many things for us. And so our world is obsessed with money, and not just money, and material things. Some people are more obsessed with the amount. Some people are more obsessed with what money buys. But one way or another, money and material things are really important in the culture and in the world in which we live. 
And as we come this morning to reflect on what it means to be followers of Jesus Christ, as we think about what it means to live in a world obsessed by money, with money, as people who are following the Lord and living a life that glorifies him, we should not be surprised to find that God's word has actually a lot to say about money. In our passage of scripture this morning, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, short though those verses are, have some really powerful things to communicate to us about money as a concentration for our lives and its importance or lack of importance in the lives that we lead. Our world is obsessed with money and material things. But as we're going to see in this passage, though that's true, God calls Christians to think differently about money and material things. Look with me again at our text for this morning, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, where the scripture says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? In these passages, God calls those of us who know Jesus Christ by faith, those of us who have been saved by the grace of God to think differently about money. And the first thing this passage does in order to try to retrain our thinking and refocus our attention is to give us a command from God himself. And that command is not to love money or material things. When God calls us to think differently about money, he first begins by commanding us not to love money or material things. Remember at the beginning of the passage, It says, keep yourselves free from the love of money. That statement, keep yourselves free from the love of money, tells us to check our attitude, to think about our desire for money. Does it have too much hold on our desire? Is it too much of an object of our obsession? That's the command that's given in this passage of Scripture. And there are many reasons why we need to check our attitude toward money. Not only because our culture is obsessed with it, but because money really isn't everything we think it is. The Bible has so much to say about money and material objects. And everything it has to say about money and material objects really runs upstream from what seems natural to us natural to our thinking, and what the world around us tells us is true. When we look at God's word about money and material things, it teaches us things that are highly contradictory to our own predispositions and the ideas of the world around us. Look at this passage from Ecclesiastes, chapter 5, verse 10, where the scripture says, Whoever has or loves money never has enough. Whoever has wealth, loves wealth, is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. These words were penned by a guy who was like Elon Musk in the day in which he lived, 
if not the wealthiest man on earth, certainly one of the wealthiest people on earth, Solomon. As king, he had the power to tax for his own benefit, and tax he did. And so he had an unlimited income stream, unencumbered by competition and other things that wealthy business owners have to deal with. And as he lived the course of his life, money became an object of desire for him and material things, the trappings of wealth, grand, immense building projects became part of what he focused his life on. And as he reflects back on his life now as an older man writing these words, he says, money actually never really satisfied me. The things that I acquired with money, the things that I built with money, were never really good enough to keep me satisfied. And so, as the Word of God talks to us about money, as it explains to us, why we should think differently about money than the world around us. We have wisdom from God and and through someone who lived for money. That money really is not a worthy object of your obsession or your attention. Because no matter how much you have, it never will seem like enough. And no matter how many things you buy, how many homes, how many whatever you acquire with the wealth that you have, there will always be something else out there that you don't have. And that will quickly become the focus for you to obtain. Another passage of scripture tells us not only that money is not really a a good object to be desired because it can't satisfy us, but it tells us that money leads us astray. It leads us morally into areas that are not pleasing to God. That passage is in 1 Timothy 6, verse 10. And the scripture says there, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, often this passage is misquoted to say money is the root of all evil. It doesn't say that. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. It's the heart desire within. It's the obsession with acquiring money or the lack of money. It's that obsession that leads people astray. It leads them into all different other kinds of evil. And Paul's concern in this verse is in the middle where it says, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith. You see, if you and I as Christians get our focus off God as our Lord and as our leader and as the object of our love, if we get our focus off God and we buy into the world's obsession with money, the Bible says it's going to corrupt your belief system. It's going to erode your theology. It's going to take you away from the truth of God's word that will sanctify you and and make you holy and cause you to follow and become more like Jesus Christ. And instead, as you buy more and more into the values of this world through your obsession with money, it's going to lead you astray. It's going to lead you into, at least if not temptations, it's going to lead you into outright sins. So the Bible tells us, God commands us, not to be obsessed with money, but it's actually for our own good because money can't satisfy us at any level or any amount. And in fact, it leads us astray and corrupts us, morally speaking. 
So when God commands us not to love money or material things, it's something that we ought to consider and reconsider again and again as Christians because this is such an object of obsession in our world. It's something we have to kind of course correct for over and over again throughout our lives. And before we move on from this point, I want to give you some thoughts, some some things to think about. Some signs, perhaps, that money is occupying too much of your affection that your mind is being too preoccupied with money. So here are some signs that come to mind. I think these illustrate biblical principles, but they're not, I'm not saying these are hard and fast rules. I'm saying look for these signs in your life and think about what they might say. Some signs you might love money. First of all, if you are stingy about giving, if you're stingy about giving, either in the amount you give or the attitude with which you give whatever you give. If you're stingy about it, that might be a signal that you love money too much. And when I say if you're stingy in the amount, what I mean is, I think all Christians know that we are to be contributing to God's work and we are to be helping the poor and so on. But at what dollar level? That's the question, right? And many Christians just give token amounts of money. Many Christians give an amount of money, maybe per month, less than what they might pay for cable television or than what they might pay for, um, I don't know, fast food or any number of disposable items of income. And if you give to God's work, that's a good thing. But if you're stingy about giving so that it occupies a tiny bit amount, a, a tiny small amount of your income, Maybe your stinginess is a sign that you love money more than you should. The other part of this stinginess is your attitude toward giving. Some people may write large checks in the amounts that they give. They might tithe and then some. But every time they have to write the check or every time they see the money leave their bank account if they're using online giving, It hurts them in their hearts just a little bit. That's a sign. That stinginess is a sign that maybe you love money more than you should. A second sign that you love money, maybe, more than you should, is when money is the driver behind every decision that you make. If the decision to move to another city or another state or another country in the world is one you make because of the large dollar figure dangled in front of you, and that's it. That's all that matters. The increase in income is the only thing that matters to you in making the decision. I would say that's a a sign that money maybe matters to you more than it should. And so if you change jobs, if you move away, if you take a promotion or not based on the amount of money that's offered to you, and that's the only consideration in your mind, maybe that's a sign that you love money more than you should. A third sign maybe, is if you keep a list of things you want to buy next. That wonderful bass boat that you have your eye on. That part of town, that certain neighborhood that you want to move into. A certain model or make of car. A watch that is more expensive than the Timex you normally wear. 
If you have a list of things you're going to buy next with your next promotion, your next pay increase, your next bonus, or when you've saved up enough, that's not necessarily sinful, but it might be a sign that you love money too much or love material things more than you should. A fourth sign that you might love money more than you should is if you buy things for status. That is, you buy shoes, not because you need them, but because they're a certain brand, and that certain brand signals something to people that are important to you, whose approval you seek. Or maybe it's not shoes, maybe it's the watch that you buy, or the smartphone that you own, or the make or model of the automobile you have, or the handbag, or whatever. If you buy things not because of their value or your need, but rather to signal something to others, to signal something about your affluence or your taste or whatever, that might be a sign that you love money more than you should. Finally, here's, I think, a pretty clear sign that maybe you care about money more than you should, and that is if you worry about losing it all. Not because there's actually the possibility on the horizon that you might, But just that's what you do. Like as long as you, from the time you had $200 in your bank account to whatever you have now, you've always worried about losing it all. And no matter how much of a cushion you've saved, no matter how much of an income you have, no matter how much you've invested or stocked away, if you worry about losing it all, I think that's a pretty clear sign that maybe money is too much of an obsession for you. Maybe you care about money more than you should. If any of those resonate with you at all, here is God's word for you and for me. Keep yourselves free from the love of money. Our world is obsessed with money and material things, but God calls us to think differently. First, he commands us not to love money or material things. And the material things is what comes next, right? In the verse, Hebrews chapter 13 Verse 5, keep yourselves free from the love of money and be content with what you have. That part about what you have talks about material things. See, some people are consumed with money. They want an amount. Some people are consumed with material things. It doesn't really matter to them if they have a lot of money or not. What matters to them is can they acquire what they want? And by the way, if you're in debt because you've been buying sneakers and watches and stuff, that's a sign maybe that material things matter to you more than they should. So the first command of God to us is to watch our hearts, to make sure that we don't love money or material things. But God goes on and gives us more to think about in this passage. He commands us not only not to love money or material things, But furthermore, the passage goes on and tells us to be satisfied with whatever God gives to us. He commands us to be satisfied with whatever God gives to us. And again, that's in that second phrase of verse 5, and be content with what you have. Now, it's not wrong to acquire new things. When you're born, you're not given everything you might ever need in life, and it's your job to live 80 or 90 years on this world without acquiring anything. That's not how it works. You know that. 
It's not wrong to acquire new things. It's not wrong to acquire better things. The command is not to be so driven by material objects that no matter what you have, you're discontent. Discontentment is a signal of ungratefulness for what God has allowed you to have in this life. Everything we have from our income to our possessions are expressions of God's grace to us. Yes, you've earned it, but it's God who's given you the health and the intellect and living in America and so many other things that allowed you to live the kind of life that you have. And when you and I have what we need, we're not starving. We're not freezing to death. We have what we need, but inside their bubbles, an ache of discontent and a desire for more. That shows we have a kind of heart that isn't satisfied with what God has given to us. It's an indication of a life that cares more about things and wealth than it does about God and what we have in Christ. The Bible tells us that contentment is something that all of us need to work on. Contentment is about your spirit. It's about your spirituality. It's about your walk with God, not about how much you have. Sure, there's a certain floor that everybody needs. We need shelter. We need clothing. We need food. We need transportation. Yes, I would admit there's a certain floor that everybody needs. But beyond that, the Bible says it really becomes a matter of your heart, whether you're content with what you have or not. Notice this verse from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, where the scripture says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. It's not wrong for you to enjoy material objects in this world. The Bible says those are gifts from God. The problem is when we're discontent with what we have. That because my car is seven years old and kind of dinged up and doesn't have that new car smell anymore, I'm discontent and have to have a new one, even though the one I have starts every morning and runs fine and doesn't cost me anything to keep going or very little. It's that discontent within that says, I want something newer, shinier, better. That's the attitude that the Lord is speaking to in this passage of Scripture. And so let me ask you, just going this far, God's commands to us in this passage, keep yourselves free from the love of money and be content with what you have. If you're a Christian, how is that going for you? Are you content with what God has given to you and the prospects that you have for the future, knowing that he's the one who's in control of where your life is going? Or has the Holy Spirit maybe brought to your attention some discontent, some desire for money that's out of proportion with 
what it means to walk with God. Our world is obsessed with money and material things, but God calls us as Christians to think differently about money and material things. Those are the commands of God. But where do we get the power to obey them? What I just said is understandable to anyone who's read the Bible and anyone who's followed Christ for any period of time, but it's also understandable to know how hard it is to live this way, how hard it is to remain content with what you have, how hard it is not to worry about money in the future. So where does the power to do this come from? That's where the rest of this passage answers the question. This is where the rest of the passage fills in for us how we should live this way and how we can live this way by the grace of God. Look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 again, which says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because here's how. Here is the reason that you and I should be able to keep ourselves free from the love of money and how we should be able to be content with what we have. Here is what God provides to us that enables us to be obedient to the two commands that we've looked at in this passage. Verse 5 says, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Where do we get the power spiritually to be, to be free from the love of money? Where do we get the freedom from the love of money? How do we escape from the obsession that the world has with money and the inner tug that comes so easily to us? The answer is from our walk with God, from our relationship with him. Or to put it another way, God's love is what liberates us from the love of money and material things. When we understand and believe the love of God, when we make that the object of our focus, it has the power to liberate us from the obsession with money and the craving for new, shiny, material objects in this world. The beginning of this, or I should say the middle of verse 5, begins developing this and begins telling us how God's love liberates us by telling us this, that his love means better security than money can buy. After that word, because in verse five, we have the words that follow. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. You see, one of the reasons why we're obsessed with money is because we're afraid of something that might happen in the future that leaves us exposed. Have you ever been worried about some cataclysmic problem in your future that you don't have the money to pay for, that you can't buy your way out of, or one that exhausts everything you have so that you're out of money and you still haven't solved the problem. One of the reasons why money is an obsession for so many people is not just that they're, maybe not at all, that they are greedy for material things or trying to signal status to other people. It's that they're deathly afraid of what the future might hold for them. And so money becomes a problem solver. But God's word tells us 
God's love can liberate us from the love of money because he is with us at all times. And his promise is he will never forsake us. If you're a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the presence of God with you in in the person of God, the Holy Spirit, who is with every believer from the time they come to Christ to the end of their lives. While you and I can't imagine every possible scenario we might find ourselves in, where we are vulnerable and exposed, it doesn't matter because we have the presence of the Almighty God with us. When you and I believe that God is going to be with us in any circumstance, in every circumstance we face in life, and when the Bible says God is with us, it means his favor is upon us. He's with us like an ally in a war would be with you. When you and I believe that truth, that God's presence is with us because we're in Christ, and he is for us, His favor accompanies us as we live our lives. Then we don't need to worry about what might happen tomorrow and what will happen tomorrow. We can be content with what we have because we have the Almighty God with us. And he promises never to abandon us. We may run out of cash someday, but that doesn't mean we're out of options. doesn't mean we're out of power. It simply means we're in a place where God will show up and keep his promise to us. God's love means better security than money can buy. But there's a little more to how God's love provides for us and enables us to live free from the love of money and possessions. And this happens, this comes from the entire context in which this passage is found. The principle is this, that God's love means a better future than money can buy. We can detach from the obsession with money and we can be free from it because of God's promise. And that means better security for us in the future. But the Bible says God has so much more than that in in store for us. That there's actually a better future for us in the days ahead. And I said that this comes from the context of the verses that we are looking at this morning. The book of Hebrews is a lengthy book in the New Testament. And it lays out for us all the ways in which Christ is better than the Mosaic system, better than the law, better than angels, and so on. And after laying out this theological case about what God has done for us in Christ, the author of Hebrews begins to apply these truths to our lives. This part that we're reading in Hebrews 13, 5, and 6 is part of that application section. But it follows from a really powerful statement at the very end of chapter 12. What the writer of Hebrews says here in Hebrews 13, 5, and 6 flows directly from the end of Hebrews chapter 12. It flows directly from this verse right here, Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. All of these commands, if we were to read the other verses around this one, 
we would see that there are a bunch of different commands, not necessarily connected to each other. What connects them is this. Let us serve God. Let us worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. One of the ways in which we worship God with reverence and awe is to love him more than we love money. It's to believe his promises more than we bank on the security of our savings or our earning potential or the things that we have. This is an act of worship, to be content with what you have and to love God more than you love money. And all of that flows from the, this promise of God. Again, look at the verse, Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. In the kingdom of God, there will be no financial cataclysmic events that will wipe you out. There will be no stock market crash that kills your life savings. There will be no financial catastrophes that exhaust every penny that you have. It's an unshakable kingdom. And it's the promise of God to all those who have come by faith to know Jesus Christ. That when this life is over, and when this earth has finished and its purpose has been fulfilled, that God will replace this this broken system that we live in with a perfect kingdom full of people declared righteous by faith in Jesus Christ, but made perfect by the grace of God and by the power of God in our lives. And part of that being made perfect, part of that perfecting process, part of the ways in which God winnows out from us our sins and our sinful desires is by calling us to trust him more than we trust ourselves, more than we trust our money, to love him more than we love the status that objects give us or the thrill that something new gives to us. This is part of the work of God in your life. It's part of what we call the process of sanctification. That as we learn to love God more than money, and as we learn to trust God more than we trust our income or our income ability or our savings or whatever, We gradually learn to love God more than we love anything else. And that's what God's command has always been. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. These commands to love God more than we love money, to love God more than we love possessions, are commands that we can obey by the grace of God alone. And it's because we have a promise This this world is not the ultimate thing for us. What we're looking for is an eternal kingdom that God has promised to us by grace. And so if you have felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit this morning about something in your life, something that you love maybe more than God himself, or something that is at least competing in your heart and your life for your affection, This passage calls us to think and remind ourselves that we have the love of God. And in in that love, we have the promise of his presence with us forever and his kingdom, which is coming in eternity. God's love liberates us from the love of money and material things. So turn your heart to Christ and make him the object of your life.